Hello and welcome to For Whom the Cell Tolls. I'm your host, Keenan, and joining me is Scout the Pomeranian. She's extra tired because it's late tonight, but she will still manage to wake me up at somewhere around 4 to 5 a.m. Pomeranians are truly marvels of artificial evolution, as I found out. So today's episode is very cancer therapy-centric. We There's a new paper that came out in Nature Reviews by, let me get the name right, Peter A. Jones is the first author, two other authors, and then Daniel D. De Carvalho. They're from uh, University of Toronto, and I believe um, not Ann Arbor, but another Michigan university. So Nature Reviews is a paper where review papers can come in and kind of give a broad brush on a topic, but this topic is something very new, and that's why I wanted to introduce it to everybody and kind of break it down for kind of how amazing and cool it is. Uh, you know, there's not a ton of papers that always strike me the minute you read them, but this one did, and because this is a very, very neat, very cool advance that I think is going to help a lot of people, and it really shows us why some of these therapies that we didn't know why they were working, why they probably are. So... Today's episode is called The Retroviruses Within Us, and as you can imagine, this episode starts with something very interesting, viruses. Lots of viruses that we know of are harmful, they go in, they integrate into our cells, they burst out of the cells, and then they go infect other cells, and that's a bad deal. And the immune system usually has to rise up, fight it, and, you know, we get sick, we get better, sometimes not, but there are different kinds of viruses. The retrovirus is something that you imagine with HIV, and what it does is that it sends in protein machinery, just little like little proteins that make it in, and they actually take the viral DNA and put it into our genome, just in some random spot, and then that's where that DNA starts circulating and making new products from, more viruses come out of it, and you know it can kind of integrate anywhere. Sometimes it can get in the middle of a really important gene, and that can be bad, that's not necessarily good for the virus, though, because then that cell goes away. So usually, successful viruses that integrate go into a non-coding part of the DNA, something that's not actively being opened up and turned on. So this could be somewhere called an intron, where that region of DNA is not going to be turned on, or at least it's not ever going to be part of an actual gene that gets turned into RNA and then protein. So as I said, HIV does this. It puts genes into our DNA. Proteins come out of that, make more virus, they go get more cells. And so somebody with HIV, all their T cells, which is the target cell, all of those are infected by the virus. It's in all of those DNA of all those cells. So there are viruses like this that integrate into the DNA, and some of them are harmful, as we're talking about right now. Others are not harmful at all, but they don't add any you know, benefit type of thing. They're kind of just neutral. They're kind of like these jumping viruses that, you know, we still get to this day that we get them, they integrate in our DNA, and they kind of just sit there. Or they can kind of bounce out, maybe, but there are things like this, there are viruses like this without like a malevolent intention or a benevolent intention on the opposite side of things. But sometimes they just sit there in the DNA and they don't really do anything. So it's kind of an interesting concept that something like that would exist, but if you think about it, it's just kind of along the path of what a virus could be. You know, it's just essentially a DNA parasite, um, and in this case, it's not really harming us, so it's not really a parasite in this case. So, although that these viruses were not theoretically harmful, the ones that are integrating in us, they probably could be, and so 
what we see is that a lot of these viruses in our genome, they're pretty ancient and they've just been in our genome for all this time because they got integrated. And then, you know, we, you know, kept moving on, passing on DNA and that they're just kind of part of our DNA now. They're just relics, essentially, just left over. They actually got turned off. So remember we talked about something called epigenetics, which is when the process of what genes are on and what genes are off. Because remember, every cell has a copy of every gene, but it really determines epigenetics is the process by which what set of genes are on and the other set that are off. So essentially, what happened to a lot of these relic viruses that were semi-harmless, they were methylated. And methyl groups are just little chemical groups that are added by some of our protein enzymes. And if you add that to a certain section of DNA, it pretty much just seals it up, basically puts it in kind of this hibernation and... Every time a cell divides, that same silencing is always put on that section of DNA. And there's certain patterns and mechanisms that account for that. So essentially, you have all these viruses that are silenced, and they're just sitting in our DNA, and they're not harming us, they're not doing anything, because they can't get out, they can't turn on their DNA. Because the virus needs to turn on that DNA, make proteins, and then that's how it would redo and remake more DNA to put into new cells. So they're just sitting there, they're just silent. Some cases they get out and they bounce around, and some actually we found out have actually served a purpose. Um, some of the machinery where you can cut and paste DNA and put it somewhere else in the genome, or you can copy and paste DNA, those are something we call transposons. And they can kind of, they're called jumping genes, as we said. They'd kind of just jump around adding and putting and you know going all different which ways. And although that might seem a little destructive, you'd be surprised how big the genome is and how little... Um, transposons actually usually impact anything. They can cause defective cells, and I think in some cases cancer. I think people have theorized that, that they can jump into a, a gene at the wrong part and cause, you know, kind of a cancerous path. But for the most part, if they jump into something wrong, the cell just dies and you move on. But some of these jumping genes that can copy and paste genes, we've actually, they actually serve a purpose. Some of these machine, some of this machinery has actually been, these genes have been taken over and seized on kind of by our cells and activated, but only in the right environment. So for example, the Y chromosome, and we'll talk about this in another episode, the Y chromosome is really small compared to the X chromosome, and technically the X chromosome is the partner with the Y, but, uh oh, Scott's barking, just a sec. Um, so technically the X is partnered with the Y, but the Y can't cross over and like recombine with the X chromosome like the other pairs can. Oh, there's a bark. Come here. Jealous of science, Scouty. So now she's getting scratched, so happy thing. So what these jumping genes can do is actually transfer genes from one chromosome to another or within the same chromosome, and that causes variation. And if you've taken genetics or intro bio, you've heard about how there are these mechanisms of variance in your sex cells that you're going to pass on. And that's this is one of those sources, theoretically, so... And I think proven, actually. I, don't quote me on that. Go look that up yourself. So here's where things get really interesting with these ancient relic retroviruses that are kind of stuck inside of us. Recall one of the cancer therapies from the cancer therapy episode, these epigenetic therapies that affect the on and off programs of genes. What genes are turned on are now off. Some genes that are off are now turned on when you give these drugs to cancer cells. Usually what these drugs are inhibiting are one of these master regulator genes that are turning on a thousand genes, turning off 500 genes. And if we give this drug, the theory was that we'll just screw up the cancer program so bad 
that the cancer cell will die. It'll lose all of the mechanisms that it's doing. And sometimes there are genes that can cause cancer cells to die. They're just silenced. They're not even mutated. So they're just silenced with those little methyl groups that we talked about. So not only, you know, this was kind of the intention when we first released these things into people, and they actually have seen a lot of efficacy. They've actually done pretty well in a lot of cases. Um, but as you can imagine, it's kind of like playing with fire. We're essentially just turning on a light switch, or we're turning off a light switch that controls 50 other light switches. Some of those control light switches and so on and so forth. And so you're really messing with a huge program down the line. So why are they working so well? Why aren't they hurting us more? Why do we find all these, you know, these therapies, these epigenetic therapies that are screwing with whatever is turning on and off everything? They're actually, this, this review paper by the authors essentially points out that these therapies are not only deactivating certain programs, they are unsilencing and releasing these viruses, these ancient relic viruses inside of us. Now, that, if that's not interesting, I don't know. We found, so essentially this paper shows us that the reason these on and off gene cancer therapies are working in a lot of cases, not all, some of it is the reprogramming, is that all these ancient viruses in our cells are given new life because the silencing mechanisms that we're stopping with these cancer therapies to stop the cancer, they're not allowing the virus to be silenced anymore. And the virus gets up and starts shooting out DNA, shooting out viral proteins, and it goes into this state of viral mimicry. So remember that these viruses are essentially harmless, but they do produce things that look like virus, double-stranded RNA, single-stranded DNA, all kinds of proteins that do not look like human proteins. And guess who attacks that immediately? The immune system. These immune system comes in after these ancient viruses, not having seen them, and immediately knowing that these are viral proteins, this is viral genetic material, and it goes into a full-blown attack. Everything starts firing. One of the biggest issues with cancer therapy is that no matter how many immune therapies we throw to stimulate T-cells or, you know, stop the immune system breaks, you know, on the car essentially, is that some of these attack cells like NK cells, T-cells, they get exhausted. They eventually can't kill anything more. By getting this viral mimicry state, by exciting and emerging all these viruses from our cells, these ancient viruses that we all carry, the immune system suddenly comes roaring back because you're no longer fighting the cancer cell. Because remember, we talked about how difficult it is for the immune system to kill a cancer cell because it looks so much like your cell. All of a sudden, these cancer cells that are targeted by these epigenetic therapies, all these genes are turned on and off and these viruses are bursting out of them. The immune system roars in, attacks everything in the area, burns through it. And so kind of the bigger overall point of this paper is to say, when we are going to do one of these epigenetic therapies, we should absolutely also pair it with an immune activating therapy, like an immunotherapy. You could think maybe a CAR T cell. You could think maybe like a blockade of um, immune checkpoints. There's all kinds of things that you could pair this with. Now... This is something to be very excited about, but the toxicity of something like this is something that absolutely needs to be explored. I don't know how many studies they cite where they show synergy of an immune therapy and an epigenetic inhibitor. I don't think there are too many because the two of these things are fairly new and it takes a long time for something to be combined because you have to make sure both things are safe just on their own. 
So I can't remember what they actually call these. They essentially, they call them ERVs, the viruses that are coming out. Yeah, they call, I don't, I can't see it. In any case, very cool thing that we are, we found out essentially that we are inducing the immune system with these drugs to completely attack these cancer cells. All the while, we just thought we were turning on and off the right genes in the cancer cells. And to a degree, that is what is having an effect. But the major effect in patients that's so good is that we're getting the immune environment to just really rev up and come after this cancer cell. So I know I repeated myself many times, but it's very exciting. It's very cool. And in the future, there may be a lot of these pairings. You know, if we can control that and, you know, this really gives us even more ammo to the fight in that maybe we can really find a way and identify like five of these ancient retroviruses unmethylate them in a very exact way and that's how we can get these just specific cancer cells to burst out this viral um, these viral proteins and have the immune system just converge right on the tumor that we're targeting so in the future that's something you know that would should be really cool um it kind of broaches the idea of introducing virus and uh like i said in the cancer therapy episode they're you know in one of the oldest experiments people with measles the virus it targets growing cells. Cancer cells are always growing. Thus, the measles virus attacks the cancer cells and draws the immune system to the cancer. This is the same idea. This is just really cool. So I just wanted to share this. It's a little quick. It's kind of a quick episode. Well, actually, I don't know. And um, yeah, this rationale has a really strong future. So look out for it. Uh, and in any case, have a good night. Good night from Scout. I'm sorry that she barked. She wanted attention, but... She's a little scientist. She wanted to be a part of it. All right. Have a good night and thanks for listening. Bye.